Before we look at the scripture and pray, I um, uh, read a story, and you may have heard it, of these two men who were uh, exploring the back areas of West Africa out in the jungles, and they were exploring the different parts and regions. They were walking along this trail, went talking, and, uh, and when they looked ahead, and right in the middle of this trail they were walking on, they saw this massive tiger staring down at them as if he had just gotten lunch delivered to him. I mean, he was entirely just crouched and focused right on them. And the men just obviously froze. Uh, They were not expecting that, afraid maybe to make any quick moves or something. And all of a sudden, the one guy knelt down and started reaching in his bag and began to change his shoes. And he began to put on, take off his uh, trail shoes or sandals and put on, he had some running shoes. And the other guy said, you are not crazy enough to think that you're going to outrun a tiger. The guy says, I don't have to. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Sometimes we feel like we're outrunning something all the time. If we could just stay ahead of the next guy... And that's the way we sometimes navigate through our week. We just feel like we're outrunning something, some crisis, some event, um, something that has happened, something that has been thrown in our lap. And it just seems like I don't have to outrun the situation, but I just need to stay ahead of the next guy, you know, for the crisis or whatever it is. Well, we come to uh, Mark chapter 4, and it's also told in Matthew's gospel 8, but we're we're in Mark, so we're going to look at Mark. And this is uh, one of my favorite events and stories in the gospel. And it's very familiar probably to most of us. And it's uh, Jesus calming the storm. Uh, The disciples, uh, you know, they were in Galilee. We'll read the scripture in a minute. I want to get ahead. But Jesus calming the storm. And I think why that is such a comfort to us. And it's an ongoing, regardless of how many times you've heard it, that we just draw strength from it time and time again is because of just that metaphor of the storm, the crisis. Uh, And we go through those kinds of storms and crises uh, all the time. And uh, sometimes we get a little cynical and we think things are going really well. Don't, don't, don't jinx it, you know, as though something like that happens. We think, oh, uh, something's going well. Get ready because something bad is getting ready to happen. Um, well, Christians really shouldn't live that way. We should live with the sense of knowing that God sustains everything, that God is sovereign over all, that God takes care of his own. And uh, so many times Jesus reminds his followers of that. The Sermon on the Mount, there's so much there that reminds us that don't be running and chasing after the things of Uh, The Gentiles, Gentile unbelievers that chase after what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, you know, how much money we're going to make. Does your not does your heavenly father not know uh, that you that they forget they tell me to stand in the light. That should be a spiritual metaphor to get out of darkness. So I'm going to stand back here. But that should be a, a metaphor that we shouldn't be running and chasing all these things. But there's a trust in the sovereignty of God over our life. 
My favorite verse, and probably your, one of your favorite verses, is Romans 8, 28. I quote it all the time. I, because God works all things and has worked all things together for good in my life. Does it mean everything's been the way I would have wanted it? No. But God has orchestrated even crises, even sin. God, in his sovereign purpose over my life, has worked and is working things for my good and his glory, I might add. Uh, to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we draw great comfort from God's word in this uh, uh, familiar event in the Gospels of this Jesus calming the storm. Just again, it never seems to grow old. We still draw uh, the, the comfort and peace from it. So look in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. It should be up on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can follow along there, reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, that'll be on the screen there, and you can just remain seated beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can have the blessing of your voice, the Bible. We're thankful that we can hear the creator of the universe in the word of God, that it has life. It's different than any other book that has ever been published. It is a book in which writers and people in multitude of situations and periods of time that the Holy Spirit breathed, Lord, upon what they wrote. And Lord, that these words have life to us. So this morning as we once again open the words of life, Lord, our prayer is that you would convince us afresh that you are in control. Lord, that you would convict us to live by your will, your truth. And Lord, that you would conform us to Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in his name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Just to kind of put this in a little context, this is another in a multiple series as we've been looking in Mark, the first, well, now we'll finish chapter four, of the writer Mark, as you know, Mark, really his words and what he wrote is really from Peter, because he was a protege of Peter. Mark was not a disciple, but he was a protege of Peter. 
And so as he writes these words, one of the purposes that Mark is doing all throughout uh, what we call the Gospel of Mark, the account of Jesus in, uh, of Mark, is that he is layer, layering uh, one after another truth, establishing and demonstrating the authority of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, John did this when he concluded his book. He said, these things were written so that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God and that you can have, uh, by having faith and belief in Him, have salvation. That was John's intent. Mark had a purpose in demonstrating the authority of Christ. And here again is this story that demonstrates the unusual uh, a beyond supernatural, really, power of Christ, that Jesus is certainly more than just a good teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than, you know, some miracle worker. He is God incarnate, meaning God in flesh, okay? And so Mark is continuing to just layer that up, and so demonstrating the authority of Christ, and also showing the ability of Christ, that Jesus is never uh, overtaken by a circumstance. He's never overtaken by a situation. Even as something as powerful as the elements of a storm, Jesus has power even over that. And so it draws attention to our own life about the storms, using that as a metaphor. This is a real historical situation. It's not a fairy tale that we draw some principles from. This is a real historical event in the life of Jesus, and it's uh, uh, accounted for uh, here in the inspired Word of God. But it's also a picture, a metaphor for, as I said earlier, the storms that come into our life. Uh, and so we'll kind of see that, and I'm sure, again, you've heard many messages and sermons on this, but hopefully today the Holy Spirit will give us something fresh, not new in a mystical way, but just a application and encouragement as if you're like me, storms come in your life. And they may not come always directly in your life, but they might come in your spouse's life. They may come in your children's life. And if they're in their life, guess what? They're in your life. And so let's draw strength from the word today to those of you maybe going through any storms today where you just feel like you're being rocked around by the events and whatever that is, it's your storm and it's what you're in. You're in the boat and you need the word and the calming peace of Christ. Let's look at three things this morning as we just kind of work our way through this uh, not very long passage, but uh, Mark Chapter 4, 35 through 41, let's kind of unpack it and just put three little, three headings around a way to kind of help us do that. First of all, notice with me the agenda of the ship, the agenda of the ship, okay? It had a direction. Look at verse 35 and 36. Uh, these aren't going to be on the screen. You'll need to... Uh, Use your Bibles. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd. We've said a lot about crowds. Crowds are always, they, and even up to here through Mark chapter 4, there's lots of crowds coming and overwhelming Jesus. They want to be in, in the middle of what is happening. And so Jesus 
uh, is on board, then just like the ship of our life, he's, uh, it's always better when Jesus is on board with our life. Would you agree with that? Uh, because Jesus, unlike us, always knows where he's going. That's what a captain of a ship should know. And if he's on board with our life, to kind of use this uh, picture here, then Jesus says, we're going to the other side. It has an agenda. It has a direction, and uh, it's going, and the destination is the other side of the lake. Verse 35, they want to cross over to the other side of the lake. And what's interesting in verse 36 is there was a lot of people scrambling, apparently, and getting in their little boats and trying to cross over with him. But you know what? It's better to be in the boat where Jesus is than you trying to get your little paddle boat out and catch up with him. And I don't know about what the other boats and the experience, but if this storm hit the way it hit, it doesn't say anything about them, but, uh, it, but it's better to be in the boat where Jesus is. I don't, you know, I, I'm going to go through more events and crises. That's just the way life is. Would you agree? I mean, that's just the way life is. You, when I, I think the first message I preached here was on Psalm 23 about the valley. And I said then, and I say it again, life is really composed of this, this little uh, statement. You're either in, in a valley, you're coming out of a valley, or you're getting ready to go into a valley. That's the way life seems to work. I wish the pie in the sky false theology that sometimes is perpetrated out on the airwaves of Christian television and bookstores, you know, I wish some of that, I wish that was true, that when I accepted Jesus into my heart, nothing would ever go wrong. Huh? Am I the only one? I wish that was true. But it, it's not true for anybody in this book. How, how so is it going to be true for me? That's not fatalism. It's just recognizing what Jesus said. In this life, in this world, you will have what? Trials, tribulation, these things. Are, but he says, but be of good cheer. What do you mean be of good cheer? Be of good cheer, he said, because I have overcome. I have overcome. So Jesus, here we are. The ship is, is going, and a lot of people are scrambling. They want to be on what Jesus uh, is, is a part of. And just like this ship we'll see in a minute, people... Um, and again, I'm just using this metaphor of a, of a ship or a boat to just look at our life. But some people are just, they're in their own little boats. They're like those that are scrambling to catch up with Jesus, but they're adrift. You see, when, I, when Christ is in my life, he gives me purpose. He gives me direction. Even though I may feel my ship is adrift, I know what I said earlier. God works all things together. Uh, just like Joseph said at the end there in Genesis to his brothers when he revealed, hey, I'm Joseph and I am not forgetful what you did. And remember, he sold them into slavery. But remember that wonderful, and I'm paraphrasing it, he said, what man meant for evil. Meaning what you did was just, you're just a bunch of rotten guys. What man meant for evil, God intended for good. As Tony Evans says, God is bigger than the bad. And so my life, as much as I might sum to my life as a believer, is never adrift. But I remember a time in my life when my ship was adrift, when there was no purpose and meaning. Now, this will date me a little bit, 
but I couldn't help come to my uh, remember that song from the group Kansas called Dust in the Wind. Let's see, some of y'all came alive. I, I, classic rockers got excited. Um, all we are is what? Dust in the wind. Just no, you know, just drifting aimlessly, purpose, you know, with no purpose or whatever. Hey, that in a way, that is a picture of life in the sense of a person who is not ha- does not have Christ at the helm of their ship, right? Who is not directing their life. We are like dust in the wind with no purpose, no meaning. Um, you know, there's three great questions of life that people in, in, in philosophy and religion and all try to answer this in some way. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? And we seek, and the world seeks to try to find meaning and answers, and who am I? You know, you hear people that just, they just abandon everything, and they take off for the West Coast to find themselves. I always want to say, hey, give me that money, and I'll help you find yourself. You're right here. That's where you are. You know, but I want to find myself. I want to somehow find meaning, where I came from. And, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with and I've done it, and, and uh, you know, discovering your roots and, and your background and your, you know, now you can have blood tests and send it off to somebody, and they'll send it back, and you think you were, you know, Norwegian, and you're, you know, Czechoslovakia, I don't know, whatever. Um, uh, and, you, you know, you're just taking their word. You don't know if any of this is true. You know, it could be some guy in the basement. Yeah, let's make them from here, you know. I mean, you don't know, Right. You don't know, but they take where we want to somehow find purpose and meaning in my identity and where I came from. And there's again, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't put your confidence. I can tell you where we all came from. We all came from Adam. We all came from Adam. You know, I tell people this all the time. If you're if you're a human being, you are part of the biggest dysfunctional family on earth. Dysfunction began in the garden and has been perpetrated ever since. But Jesus said, I have come to bring you peace. I've come to, to bring you uh, the sense of my peace that, uh, in my relationship, in my presence. So as a Christian, my destination, just like these guys in this boat, my destination is to be in Christ. Jesus said that he goes in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I want to be where Jesus is. I want my life to be directed by Christ. Um, thinking about boats and ships, I think of old Noah. Noah and the ark. You know, the waves, I'm sure, in that uh, ship, uh, you know, they were tossing and turning and the storms and everything that was happening. A uh, preacher said this, and I never forgot it. He said, you know, I'm sure Noah and his family fell down a lot in the ark. But by God's grace, they never fell out of the ark. My friend, you'll fall down a lot. But in Christ, you'll never fall out. The wonderful security of Jesus Christ in our life and the promise of that security. So that's the agenda of the ship. But notice, secondly, we get to the real action here. Notice, secondly, the anxiety of the storm. Verse 37 And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Notice that it came suddenly. That's the way things happen. 
Uh, yesterday I was uh, up in Orlando and coming back, and uh, my little Google map told me it was going to be a slower trip coming home than I thought because there was an accident. Uh, I couldn't see it, but there was an accident coming this way on I-4. Big surprise, right? Um, and you drove by, and of course, I thought it was going to be in our, you know, I was coming back uh, to Lakeland, and I thought it was over here, but because everything was backed up over here, but of course, it wasn't on our side. It was on the other side, but everybody was slowing down the way, you know, it happens, and I know you travel I-4, and some of you do it, uh, you know, uh, twice a day, but what struck me is that person, and sadly, which is not humorous, you looked over and you saw the medical, and they, were, they were, had somebody in the stretcher, and I don't know if their car went out, I couldn't see it, but it looked quite serious because of the, the fire trucks and the, the vehicles that were flying by, you, could just, you knew that whatever it was, it was bad. Here's my point, is that person that started out, whether they started out in Tampa or Lakeland, and they were going to Orlando or wherever they were going, did not start out that day saying, I'm going to be in a massive wreck. I'm going to have emergency vehicles pull me out of a vehicle on a stretcher and take me to the hospital. They didn't say that because they didn't know that. Life just sometimes, maybe not as serious, but that's, sometimes, that's what happens. You leave here and you're backing out. You just wanted to run into big lots or where 7-Eleven or wherever it is. You just got to get this or get that. Next thing you know, somebody hits you. You're like, why didn't I just stay home? I didn't need those Kit Kat bars, you know, whatever it is I was obsessed with that I had to get. I didn't need that. I got, why couldn't I just, oh, why did this happen? That's the way things, and those are really trivial compared to some of the things that come upon some of you very suddenly. The doctor's visit, and you weren't expecting what he told you. Um, the phone call from uh, a daughter, you know, a family member. These storms that uh, in Galilee, uh, they tended to come. The suddenness was very common. The Sea of Galilee, uh, you can look on maps or whatever, but just to give you a little insight here, I think it's helpful, was located between hills, and it was kind of in a basin by these hills of the way the Sea of Galilee was, is structured. And, and through those hills were ravines, which made it possible for the wind to sweep kind of blow down into the sea. And from time to time, cold air would use those ravines like a funnel and cold air sweeping down onto the Sea of Galilee and a hot air rising from the sea would collide and cause a violent storm to occur suddenly. Uh, the storm just seemed to fall out of the clouds. In the middle of nowhere, there would be this, this, this tempest that would come upon that area. It could be perfectly calm one moment, and all of a sudden, everything is in chaos with this furious gale and waves. Well, that's the way sometimes we find our life. There's a suddenness to that, just like those guys walking on that road, minding their own business, and there was this massive tiger in the way. Uh, why do these things happen? Sometimes they happen... We're just honest. Sometimes they happen because of our sin. The reason you're in perpetual crisis is because you're in perpetual sin and rebellion. That's, that's the truth. You know how I know that's the truth? Because I experience that truth, that when I am disengaged 
from the will of God and walking in obedience, guess what? I'm going to be engaged with the craziness of life because of my rebellion and just refusing to submit to God in these areas of my life. Sin is often in disobedience, self-inflicted. I think of Jonah, and we're, we're working all the boat, meta, boat uh, stories today, all right? Jonah, what did he do? God said, you need to go here and preach to those Ninevites. Nope, sorry, and it went in the opposite direction. And things got so bad in, those, in that, in that uh, uh, Uber boat. Those guys wanted to do what? They wanted to throw him out. Now, just hit pause. Have you ever experienced this as a Christian? If you're not a believer, probably wouldn't uh, be something you would know or experience. But I have found, and you might have found, that as a believer, when you've been in those seasons of rebellion, you try to hang out and you try to connect with some people that are, you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, they're in their own dysfunctional rebellion. But God has his finger on you, and he's not going to let you get away with anything And all of a sudden, not only are you miserable, but you're making their life miserable. And they want to get you out because you know what? You're messing up their routine. Because God's directing your life, and he's not going to allow you to be happy and content living and operating in rebellion. Because what he saves, he's going to bring into his presence. And if he's got to discipline us, if he's got to work in us because of our sin and rebellion, guess what? I've visited God's woodsheds many times. And that's sometimes the reason we're in these crises of storms. Sometimes they're self-inflicted. But sometimes, we know this from Scripture, and this doesn't always jive with sometimes the modern thought of how God works, but sometimes God puts you in those situations. The refining process. And then also, some of it is just out and out satanic attack. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12 that we struggle. There's a wrestling with the forces of evil. Paul addressed about this thorn in the flesh that was a messenger from Satan. So there is a spiritual attack. That's where we need the discernment. We need the Spirit of God to bring discernment. How do we get that discernment? That means we need to be communicating with God. How do we communicate with God? We pray. We open His Word. But if you're just perpetually spending money upon somebody to reinforce your mess, you're not going to get any better. You need to listen and hear, God, what are you having to say to me? Where do you need me to change? And he'll certainly use other believers to be a part of that counsel and discipling process. But there are times in which Satan does attack us. Martin Luther said in that wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Remember the line where it says, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. That's just an old way of saying the enemy still has you as a target. But we don't live in a, a kind of an obsessive fear of the devil because greater is he who is in me than who he who is in the world. We stand in the victory in Christ. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary. You guys need to recognize, like I need to recognize, is that I have an adversary. 
I have an adversary, and the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called the devil. The storm came suddenly, but also it hit severely. Verse 37 again, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was filling up. It was the water, the waves were coming over. It was filling up the boat. Now again, these guys are fishermen. It isn't like this is their first rodeo. It's in their first little boating and fishing expedition. I mean, they were probably familiar, but whatever this, the intensity of this, they were panicking. They were scared. The word there in the Greek is the word seismos. Again, I I, uh, referenced Matthew 8, so sometimes I'll, I'll reference the way Matthew writes it in Matthew 8. But the word furious storm is the word seismos, uh, seismometer. uh, What does that do? Seismograph. It measures when they have earthquakes and those type of things. You with me? Hello? Everybody uh, with me? They measure the earthquake. They measure the tremors. They measure the activity, the turmoil. The Greek word seismos means it was a great turmoil of a storm that was taking place. And again, but this was different. They're panicking just as the storms of life are severe. Sometimes what hits us is just fear. Some of you know what I'm talking about, where you're just gripped with fear. And every horrible scenario you're convinced is going to play out in the days ahead. Fear. We are not going to survive this time. Real grief, real suffering. When something happens, we feel like this is it. This is it. Add a little smile. I think of Fred Sanford. Remember what he said? This is the big one, Elizabeth. Just listen to this. This is important. I didn't really have any place to put it, so I just kind of stuck it here. Notice through this that the presence of Jesus in the boat did not keep the storm from coming. And that goes back to something I said earlier. Just because you are a Christian does not mean you are not going to go through trials and hardship. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, Our Father in heaven causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Pain makes its way into every home. In this world, you will have trouble. I quoted that earlier. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And third is the authority of the Savior. As I said, this is a picture, as we've seen in other, the other chapters previous, as demonstrating the authority of Christ, the authority of Christ, the authority of Jesus the Savior. The Bible says in Psalm 107, 29, He maketh the storm calm so that the waves thereof are still no waters, no water. That's that's you know your boat. Just to kind of play that analogy out, 
you, if, you're, if your life is taking water right now, let me tell you something. You're not going to drown. I've been texting somebody in my family, and it's not my wife because she's not here, so don't draw that conclusion. But I've been texting them and calling them, and every day, two or three, four times a day, just reminding them it's going to be okay. You just do what you know God wants you to do. Take these steps as hard as it is. It's going to be okay. You're, going to, it's, you're not going to die. It's going to be, you're going to be all right. You're taking water right now. But Jesus is in control. Your life may be taking, you feel like this, we're, we're going down. But stand on the authority of Christ. That my life, well, let me just say it this way. Uh, we're studying Daniel in our, in our men's class. And even though we're not, we just started last Tuesday, the story of the three Hebrew teenagers. And when they were being pressed to bow the knee to this, you know, grotesque idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And they didn't do it. They were going to throw him into the what? Fiery furnace. I remember as a little kid, the little, remember flannel graphs? I remember the teacher had this little, I don't know what it was, some kind of idol and the little flame, flannel, you know, a little flame and a little chill, you know. <laughs> I was always fascinated by that. But you know where, what they said? You remember what they said? The bottom line was they said, King, look, we are not doing this. And if God doesn't deliver us, we'll die. But it does, the bottom line is we're not doing it. That's a resolve of complete trust. Not just if things turn my direction. And there's the way we looked at the parable of the soils. There's the way oftentimes some quote-unquote people who receive the word or encounter Christianity or something, that if, you know, they're into this, but you know what, if things don't shift the way that they want, what do they do? I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm looking for something else. That's a shallowness that doesn't understand what the, the depth of Scripture. But what was Jesus doing? Verse 38. What's he doing? He's sleeping. Oh, that's great. That's helpful. He's sleeping. And, it make, and I, I love these little, and Mark, you see this, because he's hearing Peter with these little details. He isn't just down there sleeping, but he's resting on a a cushion, a pillow, just a little detail. Almost Peter's just saying, not only is he down there sleeping, but he's got his head on my pillow. Like he doesn't even care. He doesn't even know what's going on. Those little details you see Mark pick up. I can just hear Peter. Yeah, he was on a pillow. It was a red one too. Uh, doesn't say that. Well, not only does this show Jesus in that God-man role, perfectly human, perfectly divine. Jesus wept, he cried, he had anger, but in everything he never committed sin. And we see him tired. He needed rest. He needed food at various times. He needed solitude. So we see that there. But they're in a frenzy, and it's if they're like, in fact, they even say it. It says, uh, verse 38, teacher, rabbi, do you not care that we're dying, that we're going to die. Do you not care? Now, I know nobody who's ever uttered that prayer. God, you just don't care. You don't care. Oh, we've all said it. 
may have said it this week. God, do you really care? Do you really care what I'm going through? If you cared, you'd do this, you'd do that. We're going to die. Jesus said, or Jesus, verse 39, he awoke. He must have been in some sleep. But I suspect when you have the peace that Jesus lived with, you could sleep through a lot of things because you're not worried about stuff that we're worried about. Don't you want that? When he said, my peace I give you, don't you want that kind of peace that can sleep when all hell's breaking loose around you? That you can rest? When he woke up, he awoke. He heard them just screaming and yelling. He rebuked the wind, the ESV reads, and said to the sea. He said to the sea. He said to the the elements, the, the creation. What does that tell you? The one who, Colossians 1 says, that through him all things were created through Christ. He spoke to that which he made. He created, he cre- created all the elements involved in the universe and the atmosphere of weather. And he showed his authority by saying, stop, be still. I want that kind of authority ruling my life. That the word of Jesus brings calm and peace. And he said, <laughs> he told him, he said, verse 40, he said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In uh, Matthew's, uh, the companion to this story, Matthew 8, 26, he says, you have little faith. Here he says, you have no faith. Fear grips us when we're focused upon that storm. Faith is looking to Christ. Fear is looking at the circumstances. Faith is looking... To him who controls all things. You know, you would think the disciples, because they've experienced and seen Jesus and witnessed all the miracles that he had done, you would think they would be pretty strong guys, right? Jesus said, faith, verse 41. They had fear. They were filled with fear. Jesus said you had no faith. Faith and fear cannot go together. Paul said in Romans 4.21, he said, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. I love that phrase, being fully persuaded. That's biblical faith is when we are fully persuaded. When you're just going back to that soil metaphor, the, the stories... That when my soil is just in the ground big enough that when the sun comes in, remember Jesus said that of the third soil? The sun comes in, the heat, the the pressure, and it burns up that little shallow faith. I want strong faith. I want faith, not faith in faith, as sometimes you hear people teach. Faith is a force. No, I want faith in the one that talks to storms and speaks, let there be Let there be, let there be, let there be. The creative power of Christ, that's who I need my faith in. Hear this this morning. There's one today who has power to calm any storm in your life. 
Someone said, do you think for a moment that a puddle of water can hinder the omnipotent, all-powerful creator of the universe? (laughs) That's what the Sea of Galilee was to God. What? Just a little puddle of water. How does God see your life, your crisis, your Sea of Galilee, just a little puddle of water to the God who made and spoke universes into existence? Colossians 1.17 I love Colossians. In Christ, all things, get it, in Christ, all things are held together. If Christ wasn't holding physically every atom together, it'd be, you know, we wouldn't be here. But in Christ, he holds my life together. I feel like it's falling apart. In Christ, he holds my life together. Jesus was sleeping, but part of his authority is just a reminder of his sufficiency. He spoke calm. He said peace. What's fascinating is they were in a panic of fear. And you would think that after he calmed the storm, they would be kind of mellowed out. But what does it say in verse 41? And they were filled with great fear. Huh? They're fearful and panicking because of the storm. Jesus says, peace be still. And verse 41 says... They're filled with great fear. Why? Something more powerful than a storm they just encountered. They've got God in their boat. They got God. They got the holy creator of the universe in their boat. And just like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe, we sang about that. Angelic beings, holy, 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 day and night. And Isaiah's response was, Woe am I, a man of unclean lips. There's something about when you encounter, we have this God of the good parking space mentality. We have God in my pocket like a genie I pull out when I want to wish. Let that lottery ticket. Come on. I'll tithe, Jesus. He's not a genie in your back pocket. He's not a bellhop you call when you want service. He's the creator. They realized this man, remember what what did they say? Look at verse 41. Now, you think this is kind of odd. They're chosen now his disciples, apostles. They're traveling with him. And what did they ask? Who is this man? You know, I mean, I don't say that as a criticism. I say that really in the sense of what should be true in our life. That we never exhaust knowing God. That there still is a sense of wonder. Who is this man? I worry that I'm going to have it all wrapped up and have nothing left to experience and discover. And that I will never understand. I'll I'll just say, yeah, I know. I know all about him. Sure, I've heard that before. Who is this man? The sufficiency of Christ. Here's a principle I think is so important. I alluded to it earlier. I would not have chosen this. I don't like this. It's just the way it seems to work. As I read the Bible, as I live life in Christ, 
crisis and suffering, hardship, you fill in the blank, will bring you into a deeper understanding of the nature of God than wellness and prosperity. And yet, what do we chase after? What do we want? Wellness and prosperity. I mean, I, hey, I'd, I'd rather be well and prosperous, right? There's, I mean, there's nothing evil with that. But the most impactful things that I have experienced in my understanding of God's purpose and ways for my life have not come from the mountaintop experiences. They have come in the valley. They've come into the deep, dark valley of panic that if, we take in any, if I take in any more water, I'm going to die. Even if I slay me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. Job said that. 